Greg, Maya, and Betty are not experts, nor do they claim to be. They're just a bunch of nerds who enjoy talking about movies, shows, and current events. So sit back, grab a coffee, relax, and enjoy a brand new episode of All Queued Up. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of All Queued Up, the review podcast tied to streaming services like Netflix, Amazon Prime, HBO Max, Disney Plus, and etc. I'm your host, Greg Dietz, and with me always is Maya Don Fisher and Betty Badger. How are you two doing? I'm doing, I'm doing really, really good uh, today. Uh, feeling good, you know, really excited, uh, having, a, having a great week, you know, just loving life. How, how are you, Betty? Um, not as good as you are. <laughs> I'm a little um, sore from the weather. My hips being very bitchy today, and yeah, but I'm here. How are you, Greg? Uh, same as you, Betty. I feel like uh, I'm, I'm emotionally drained from this last week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, this week hasn't been bad so far, other than like the cold weather is just making my knees fucking creak, like an old house. Um, I, I grew up with a knee condition called Osgood Slaughter, so like I'm gonna have arthritis in my knees. So whenever the cold weather hits, I'm like, oh, that's what pain feels like in my knees again. Yeah, it's called, what? It's called yeah. Osgood Slaughter. Uh, it's a oh, the, old yeah, group. yeah, the the kid clothing line. I'm familiar. <laughs> Not Osh Osh for gosh. Uh, no, it's it's it was a uh, discovered by an old. Uh, an old German doctor, and it's basically when the ligaments and the knees get separated during the growth spurt era or age. Ooh. And um, yeah, so like my ligaments got really fucking like bad. Like during um, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth grade, uh, they uh, the doctors recommended I don't run ever because it was so bad. Um, and then I dislocated my kneecap, and it just made everything worse. So there's that. But. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to have, that's another reason why I need to lose weight because I know that the pressure I'm putting on my knees is not making them any better, but that is neither here nor there. Um, well, folks, today we're going to review episode two of Mandalorian, episode two or chapter 10, if you want to get technical, um, and uh, the Queen's Gambit. In between the two reviews, I do have a small game I want to test out with Betty and Maya here. Um, we'll see how well it works out, but, uh, we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, first let's, uh, let's, what'd you guys think of the, uh, episode two of Mandalorian chapter 10? Betty, you want to go? Um, well, it wasn't as good as chapter nine. No. But, uh, it was interesting. Um, I did like how hungry Baby Yoda was. <laughs> Fun fact, a lot of people are pissed off on social media about that. It's really Why? funny. Fun fact, people are fucking uptight assholes. Right, that was my reaction. It's like, really, guys? It's a it's a child, first off, and Baby Yoda doesn't know? I don't, like, what are you mad about? It made me think of the Futurama episode where they go that The planet. Poplars? Yes, the Poplars, and they just couldn't stop eating oh, them. That's so what it funny. made me think of. <laughs> And I, you know, that was adorable. I don't know. Jeff thought that maybe, you know, baby Yoda was trying to save them or something and he was going to spit them back out later, but that didn't happen. 
No, I mean, uh, uh, my dad had completely forgot that uh, Baby Yoda ate frogs, like in in the first season. Yeah, I mean his his Star Wars uh, Black Series action figure, which I have here in front of me, being cradled by Mando. Uh, it comes with one of those frogs from the fourth episode in the little bowl of bone broth. <laughs> That's amazing. It comes it comes with a little frog that he can try to chase and catch. That's, That's hilarious. All. That's great. Yeah, it it didn't like it didn't surprise me, and I thought it was kind of cute. I was like, oh, oh, he doesn't know. He's like a little puppy. Misty uh, was like, "Stop that, you little shit." <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. My favorite part was when Mando looks at him and he's just like, "No, no, stop it." <laughs> the little finger, like, "No." Um, yeah, um, it's a think... very cute episode until the spiders. <laughs> yeah, that freaked me out. I I have bad arachnophobia. Oh, Misty as well. She's like, oh, God, it's fuck off spiders. Yeah, really. I was like, oh, no. It's like they make the ones from Skyrim look tame, man. It's not cool. Uh, fun little fact about those spiders, by the way, is they were um, originally conceived by the uh, artist who drew um, concept art for Return of the or, uh, Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, it was originally Ralph McQuarrie concept art from back in the 80s, late 70s, early 80s. Yep. It just never went into the movies. It went into the comics. Yeah. And some of the books, I believe. But So it was kind of cool to see it in, in live action. Well, I use quotation fingers because they were CGI, obviously. But um, So one thing I did want to bring up, and this is very Star Wars lore heavy. I was a big, 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 big fan that they kind of showcased how the New Republic was handling things versus how the Emperor, the Empire would handle things. Where Mando's concept of how these authoritarian figures handle situations. So to see these pilots, by the way, Dave Filoni and I believe the original guy that played. That, that pilot that was talking. He's very recognizable, but I can't place him. But, yeah, I'm uh, not. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not sure off the top of my head. I have to look it up. But um, yeah, those two pilots when they were like at the end of the episode saying like we're not going to arrest you. Um, yeah, that to me was very cool because as 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 we've stated, the show takes place five slash six years after uh, re- um, <sighs> Return of the Jedi. And the Empire is for more or less falling apart. And so the New Republic is trying to police the galaxy, but they're not trying to jail people. Like they're not just willy nilly jailing people like the Empire would. And Mando to see that, like I, and for us to see that, I was really happy with. But that's again, very Star Wars lore heavy versus everything else in the episode. But. Any other thoughts, guys? Um, well, she wasn't a frog. I wish they wouldn't call her a frog. <laughs> <laughs> she was frog-esque. Uh, I'd say she was more like a salamander. Yeah, I would say salamander gecko, definitely yeah. in that regard. Um, Jeff and I tittered back and forth over that. Because <laughs> he kept calling her a frog, and I was like, she's not a frog. She's a salamander. <laughs> 
like she's an alien. I don't know what she is, but you know, yeah. <laughs> apparently I wasn't the only one who had that issue. My friend Deke also was like, I had trouble calling her a frog. I was like, I know, right? I can't do that. She's not a frog. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a bad episode. It just wasn't as explosively <laughs> good as uh, you know, chapter nine. I went to the IMDb to look up uh the actor's name. The actors and stuff. And apparently that woman that plays the, the frog lady is literally credited as frog lady. <laughs> I didn't realize that. That's amazing. It's a dude. Dude does the voice. Uh, His name is D. Bradley or, Baker. Oh shit, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A D. Bradley Baker is a like He's been doing voice acting for a long time and he is very good at creature voices. Yeah, apparently. That's, yeah, I see a lot of those under his name. Yeah. So, and then you have Misty Roses, who was the actor. Um, the guy that played the other pilot, his name is uh, Paul Soonhang Lee. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that probably. Um, and I know that he's like involved with something with Star Wars, and I'm looking up his entire uh IMDb right now to find something, but I it, like it was definitely a cameo type role versus like Dave Filoni was just like, Oh, it's Dave Filoni, he fucking does everything in Star Wars now. I don't see anything with Star Wars, yeah, that, that, don't get me started on Dave Filoni. <laughs> Yeah, Dave Filoni is a huge fan of uh, the prequels. He loves how the the uh, the midi chlorians and force. He loves all that shit, so he utilizes that. Yeah, I don't know the connection between that actor, but I recognized him immediately. I was like, "That's that's this guy." <clears throat> but um, I love that. I am wondering if you know if and how this particular episode might further the storyline uh it probably won't because no so it's going to it's a two-parter um i'm not sure how it will but i know it will serve a purpose in some form or fashion because in the in the trailer for this season one of the planets they go to is a water planet and that's going to be in the next episode because oh. in the trailer, if you watch it really closely, you'll see. I haven't watched the trailer at all. Oh, okay. Well, Sasha Banks of WWE fame is in the trailer, and she is on that water planet. And if you look in the trailer watching that scene, you can see him carrying her eggs and the frog lady next to him. Okay. Okay. Well, I think I think more so what I'm what I what I'm thinking is that there were parts of season one that never came back but i guess they were in the end like even in the last couple episodes like that old man who was in the first like three ish episodes um like i have spoken uh quill Quill, okay i'm terrible with names you guys know that um like he came back in the final episode so you know maybe the frog lady will be a bigger part than i'm thinking i don't know i loved quill everyone did Everyone did, Betty. It was sad. It was sad that yes. he died. It's very sad. You know, it's but funny I mean, that... Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I. It was fun. I, I, yeah. I, 
it was a fun episode, but yeah, it wasn't like you know, people stopped talking about the episode after Friday. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't have the impact that like maybe the first episode did. No, it, it didn't, but it didn't make it a bad episode. It just no. it was following a stellar episode, so it had a tough act to follow. But yeah. that's I feel like that's a few episodes like that's definitely how like episode four kind of was perceived in yes. season one. Yes. Absolutely. Plus, you know, the, the, the show, I don't know whether or not it benefits from a week to week because it could be, you know, a whole dump, but I don't think it would matter per se. I don't know. But, um, well, what grade do we want to give this episode? I'm going to start with you, Betty. I give it a B. Yeah, right. that Baby Yoda eating the, the frog eggs was funny. I don't care what people say. <laughs> um, and funny. the spiders were definitely, you know, scream worthy. Especially if you don't like spiders. So, yeah, I'll give it a B. <laughs> All right. Uh, Maya? Uh, I, I, I was going to say B as well. I mean, it was <clears throat> it was a fun episode. It wasn't a great episode, but it was fun. I'm interested to see how it will tie in later on and how it will further the plot along. Uh, I did like the fact that, you know, they uh, really got to showcase the Razor Crest and some of its capabilities. And then, of course, seeing it get all fucked up. And you got to explore the interior of the ship a little bit more. Yeah. And I'm also wondering with the planning of that, because uh, Hasbro Monday... Uh, for the past several weeks, they have had a um, Hasbro Pulse uh, GoFundMe, or not GoFundMe, but Kickstarter, for lack of better terms, for a three and three quarter inch scaled Black Series um, Razorcrest vehicle slash playset that comes with a Mandalorian and a Baby Yoda. I mean, they got everything. It matches up scene for scene, almost everything in the fucking show. It even comes with, like, carbonite slabs of prisoners. Uh, That's rad. Yeah, yeah, and it just funded on Monday. And I think, you know, well, you know they knew they were going to do this. I mean, it had already funded, but the Monday was the deadline. But I think, you know, the timing of the episode and the timing of their campaign, it was... It lined up really well because people who may have been on the fence about it, like, okay, this ship's cool. It's got a lot of cool features and things like that. They sold over 28,000 fucking units. Not surprised. Well, yeah. and now these are like made to order. So they're only going to make a, you know, maybe a thousand more than what they had orders for, for overseas distribution. And they retail them at $350. So they made 10 million bucks. 10 million bucks. Off of the Razor Crest. Oh wow! Yeah, awesome little toy manufacturing distribution history. You know, just a little factoid in there. I wanted to add in as a tidbit. Yeah, that's smart marketing. Smart marketing. I agree. Well, Greg, um, what do you think? I'm gonna give it a B plus. I thought it was. I I love character cre or creature creation. So like the spider was fucking rad as hell to me. Um, terrifying, don't get me wrong, but like the second baby got opened up that thing and ate the spider. I was like, no, 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 no. 
Uh, yeah, that's what Misty was doing too. The only argument I have is that that whole scene was extremely predictable. <laughs> it was. Um, well, no, I have to say, when I first saw him go up to the little tank, I thought he was being cute. I was like, oh, he recognizes their babies. Then he ate one. And I was like, no. <laughs> I, I'll give you that. I didn't think he was going to eat them right away. Like I did. That's not where I saw that going. But definitely in the cave was predictable. Like everything in the cave. Like he oh, opening yeah, that it. was predictable. Yeah. Um, but uh, I did see the, the frog lady like taken off and like causing him a problem. I was like, this is going to be a thing. Um, but uh but no, it was it was very fun. Like I thought the episode was fun. It seemed to an extent inconsequential to like the majority of the plot of the show, like the the major theme, like him trying to find another Mando and all that kind of stuff. Which I guess it was, but um not to a not to a negative degree. Like Well, I mean, you know, he's he's getting her passage to another system and he's gotta try to track down another Mandalorian that's gonna give him money to do so so um you know, he's got to make money to buy fuel and pay for repairs and etc and you know just go to different regions to try to track you know down any possible leads or find any possible leads so what happened okay this is something i'm not up to date on what happened to all the mandalorians okay uh well you in the last episode of season one, you heard Moff Gideon refer to uh, a battle, uh, basically known as the, the, the Purge of the Mandalorians, of, of Ma the Purge of Mandalore. That was really detailed, and I think in Clone Wars, in the later seasons of Clone Wars, the animated show, and touched on in Rebels as well. I've not seen them, so I don't know the ins and outs. I just know that there was a major event. The Empire wiped out the Mandalorians because the Mandalorians would not align with them. They wanted to remain, you know, just by themselves, or at least yeah. certain sects of them did. And one of the factions of the Mandalorians was known as the Death Watch. And those are the, uh, the, uh, turquoise colored troopers that came in and saved the Mandalorian Din Djarin when he was a child. Uh, that was the Death Watch. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was really curious. I was like, why would you want to kill the Mandalorians? Well, you told me. So, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I feel more versed in it now. Yeah, there's a lot of lore tied to it and I really need to watch Clone Wars as much as I have a hard time with that first season. It's awful. I said the first two uh -huh. seasons are a little bit tough. I don't know when the whole like the galaxy is in peril bullshit ends, but it never ends. I'm pretty sure. I heard it uh, did, but I don't know. But that's that's one thing that I have a hard time with. Um, because Attack of the Clones is my least favorite Star Wars movie, and Clone Wars, at least the first season, uh, is everything I dislike about Attack of the Clones amped up to eleven. So Lovely. it's a difficult, difficult watch for me. But there's so much lore there that I do want to get that lore. I just struggle uh, in doing so. But, yeah, there's there's also, you know, that lightsaber that Moff Gideon had at the end of when he cut out of that TIE fighter. That 
is the Darksaber, and it has lore that's really touched on a lot in that show, too. So, this is why I argue, I want to know about this is why why I argue to the nth degree Mm -hmm. that Star Wars doesn't have to adhere to Jedi versus Sith ever. No, there's just so much, there's just so much, and it it just it, it kills me when like people are like, I just want to watch lightsaber stuff. And I'm just like, why? Why? Just, there's so much more. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, this, this, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to give it a B plus in that regard. I, again, episode was fun. You guys gave it B's. So yeah, it's a good episode. Very good episode. I'm excited yeah. for next week. I didn't know that it was a two-parter situation. Um, yeah. I had assumed that the next episode, like, again, I didn't watch the trailer, so um, I just assumed next episode is going to be a, a pseudo non sequitur of him going to, like, him dropping her off, getting the information that she needs, and then going and finding this Mandalore. Mandalorian or whatever. So that's what I assumed, but you're saying there's more to it, and I'm like, that's, that's fucking rad. So um, Also, for anybody listening, I thought this was really funny. Uh, the... Uh, a bunch of uh, right-wing Star Wars fans absolutely hate Pedro Prescal right now. Why? Uh, because he spoke out against Trump and the election and the and, oh. like, bullshit. Like, he posted a thing about um, what authoritarian, like, regimes look like. And it was like, the, I don't remember what the first one was, but then it was Nazis and then it was uh, MAGA. Ah. Uh. And so, like, there's this there's this group on YouTube named Geeks and Gamers, and uh, they are absolutely full of these types of nerds that can't can't handle like you know a woman protagonist situation. Uh, host like the main guy's name is Jeremy, and he's an absolute piece of shit. But he um, he had a whole video about hating Pedro Pascal. So now. Now, here's two things that I think are really funny. Uh, because Pedro Pascal is now hated by these right-wing people, um, so is Raul Cooley. And it, you'll remember Raul Cooley from uh, Blair Manor. Um, or Bly, sorry, Bly Manor. He oh, was yeah, the, yeah. He, w- he, was he, the played, chef. he played the chef, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, he spoke out against it. And Fox News picked up on it. <laughs> So he started getting targeted by all of these right wing guys telling him to go back to his own country. Oh he's my like, god! He's like, he's like, which country is that? England? Because that's where I'm from. <laughs> is that what you're talking about? And one guy was like, go back to India where you're from, and he was like, I'm not. Never been to India. What the fuck are you talking about? Why? He's never even been to India. No. Nah. Wow. Um, dude lives in L.A. He's an actor. Like that's what he does. Well, yeah, I know, but you know. Is I so know fun. most of my Indian friends growing up had ties to India. You know, they'd go back for certain festivals or weddings. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know. I don't know how in tune with his, like, culture he is. Or his, his ancestors culture, I guess I should say. Um, I just know the dude is uh, fucking funny. He's hilarious oh, yeah. on Twitter. Um, but no, him and Pedro, like, kind of... Connected after being targeted by the right wing, telling them to go back to their own country or that they're not American because they don't support Trump. Shit. <laughs> which, which it was really funny because uh, uh, 
Raul's response is like, you know, you're right. I'm not American, which is why I didn't vote. <laughs> yeah. I'm from England, dumb motherfuckers. But yeah, I thought that was really funny. And then Pedro, like, he's just kind of like, I don't care. The Trump administration is a piece of shit. And you follow and your followers are pieces of shit. Don't watch Mandalorian. I don't give a shit. And that's another thing. The the these Star Wars fans that are right wing are sitting there saying, like, oh, he'll be replaced by uh Cara Dune eventually. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? So shit was funny to tell to me. People are insane. Yeah, they are. I I love my my favorite thing is when uh insecure fanboys have to deal with the insecurities on screen like that fucking brings me so much joy no they're incels right exactly exactly <laughs> um so before we get into queen's gambit we were talking about something um privately in our little conversation um about uh zombie movies right which then spawned into a conversation about terrible B-movies. And I had mentioned uh, one that really irritates the living shit out of me is when people sit there and say, oh, I'm a huge fan of um, of uh, uh, Sharknado. Sharknado is hilarious because it's so bad. My big thing about B-movies is that it's not entertaining unless it was made in earnest. And what I mean by that is that the filmmakers and the actors all did their absolute best to make the best movie they possibly could, and it just turned out to be hilariously bad. For example, one of my favorite B-movies is The Room. If you haven't seen that gem of a show oh, movie, it's so funny. It's, it's so great. It's Oh my God, I love it. But that was made in absolute earnest which is what makes it so fun to watch when a fucking he meant it. Oh yeah. He really um, meant it. <laughs> um, him, him and Greg Cicero have, have embraced the, the reason his popularity exists, but um, they didn't at first. Like uh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name that that's the fucking writer and creator of it. Tommy Wiseau. Wow. Uh, thank you. Tommy Wiseau. Um, which, by the way, there's a great movie about the making of that movie. Uh, yeah. Starring um, with James Franco. It's on so Netflix. good. So good. Is it really? Yeah, it's on Netflix. Oh, my God. If I you have it Amazon it, Prime, but it's definitely on one of them. It's on Netflix. It's in my list. Gotcha. Oh, my God. People watch that. It's so good. It's so much fun. I've never seen either one. And I know uh, I need to. You, I mean, I, w- I would say watch The Room just for the sake of how, how fucking funny it is. Um, but uh, you don't have yeah, to watch it, The Room to watch Disaster Artist. Yeah, the, and you, you're you in MSK3, so this is right up your alley, man. This is so, yeah. so bad and so over-the-top bad. I, I remember the first time I watched it, it was like, God, it was at least 10 years ago. I was like, what fresh hell is this? <laughs> I mean, the, but it's uh, like a train wreck. You can't stop. Once right. you start, it's like, oh my God, what's gonna happen next? <laughs> uh, the, fir- the first time the first time I ever saw the room, um, Adult Swim started stop doing like their long form uh April Fool's thing, and they just started airing, like replaying that movie three times in a row. Oh god. Um and I, the first time I saw it, I was like, what the fuck is this? And I, I caught it at the beginning. 
like those long shots with the piano music over over <laughs> San Francisco. <laughs> and I'm watching it, and the first scene of him like, "Hello, doggy." I was like, "What? <laughs> what? What? What is this?" Uh, so I, I ended up it's watching. So it laughing bad, it's off. amazing. I did not hit there. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so um, good. It's so much fun. But um, so, yeah, we were talking about B-movies for like a second there. And I said that to me, Sharknado is a bad example of that because it was made to be bad. It was intentionally designed to be a shitty movie to, to kind of garner that attention. So when people sit there and say it's their favorite B-movie, I'm like, it barely fucking registers to me as a B-movie. And um, so I started talking about Asylum. If you don't know what Asylum is, they uh, back when Hollywood video and blockbuster were still a big thing, um, they would put their what quote unquote mockbusters into the um, on shelves, and they had offshoot names that seemed somewhat similar to uh, the the current movies that were out. So, for example, I Am Legend. They did a mockbuster of I Am Legend called I Am Omega. Or uh, Pacific Rim, they have Atlantic Rim. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, these, these, I've watched a few of these mockbusters and they are atrocious. They are hard to watch. I mean, like, from somebody who enjoys bad movies, these are hard to watch. So. The game I want to play is I have listed here five movies. It's your job, your guys' job, to figure out if they are an actual movie that Asylum made or a mockbuster, an actual mockbuster that Asylum made or something I fucking made up. Okay. Are you two ready? I'm as ready as I'll ever be. What did we win? <laughs> Bragging rats. Yeah, it's, it's basically the same game as when we did the, uh, the crazy headlines. That's okay. something we need to bring back. So yeah, no I can kidding. Destroy you again. <laughs> I'm real bad at that game. Okay, so the first one that we're going to read off here is Fast and Fierce Death Race, a mockbuster of Fast and Furious Nine. Is that real or fake? fake. I was going to say fake. That is a real movie that they made. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they all uh, up in it, ain't they? Yeah, that that came out this year too. By oh, the way, all no. the movies, all the movies I'm reading off came out this year. Okay. Um. So the next one is Neanderthal, a mockbuster of Missing Link. Fake. Uh, I'm gonna say it's real. Why not? That is one I made up. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah. I like this game. Okay. So the next one here is Apocalypse of Ice. <clears throat> this is a mockbuster of the 2004 movie The Day After Tomorrow. Yes, they did release Apocalypse of Ice in 2020. Is that real or fake? I'm going to say, yeah, it's real. It sounds too absurd, so it must be real. I'm going to go with real, too. That is real. You guys are correct. Um, because that yeah. is absurd. <laughs> All right. The next one is The Final Level, Escaping Roncala, a mockbuster of Jumanji, The Final Level. Oh, I'm going to say that's real, too. 
fake. That is real. Ah, uh, where'd they get this fucking name from? I don't know. Moncala. <laughs> well, the thing is, I was thinking Moncala is an actual board game uh, that it you is. can play. And I was, you know, they're probably like to avoid copyright infringement, even though it's an open source game. They probably just went with that, you know, because they wanted to make it sound made up like Jumanji. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's you're not wrong. All right, the final one I have here is the final Asian man in Los Angeles, a mockbuster of the final, or sorry, the last black man in San Francisco. I'm gonna say that's fake. I'm gonna go with real. <laughs> it is fake. I made that one up. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so, yeah, was three for two. Yeah. Uh, Betty, how many did you get? I have no Ooh. idea. I was just enjoying the game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, was, I wasn't thinking of a score, but yeah. <laughs> See, now I got to come to y'all with like, you know, is this a, a Hallmark or Netflix Christmas oh, movie? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, please. Or did I make this up? <laughs> oh, that's fair. Yeah, yes, do that shit. Oh, my God. Because I've seen more than my fair share of those things, and they so, all play out the same way. <laughs> so before we get into Queen's Gambit, um, I think that this is a great idea. So next week, because we are gonna not be reviewing anything other than mandalorian because i have fucking assassin's creed and spider-man and other things to do um let's let's do that i'll i'll come up with seven i'll come up with seven uh of, of these mockbusters betty you do the hallmark one and maya you do the uh crazy headlines one for oh, next okay week. okay i can do that that'll be fun Absolutely. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's been a while since I've done that. So yeah, it's we'll, been a while, and I'll, I'll make this game a little bit better, and I'll come up with synopsis. Yeah, settle down there, and Lewis. <laughs> I'll come up with synopsis. Synopsis for the, fake for the fake one. For the real one, I'll yeah, you know, obviously just copy and paste. All right. All right. <clears throat> so, uh, what's up? Oh no, I was just pulling up some information right fast. So just okay. bear with me. Um. So yeah, the, the last thing we're going to review today is a Netflix uh, limited series, as they call it, which is just like a, a one-time thing, seven episodes, of a show called The Queen's Gambit. Um, Maya, I don't know if you have a synopsis ready that you want to read to the audience. Well, that, that's what I was doing, actually. I assumed as much. It's a fictional story that follows an orphan chess prodigy named Elizabeth, a.k.a. Beth Harmon, played by Anya Taylor-Joy and her quest to become the world's greatest chess player while struggling with emotional issues and drug and alcohol dependency. Uh, the story begins set in the mid-50s and proceeds into the late 60s. So There you go. That's, yeah, that's a good way to put it. We will be talking spoilers, obviously, folks, so if you haven't watched it yet and you don't want it spoiled, come back when you have watched it. Because um, I don't think there's any way to really talk about this without spoiling a little bit. Uh, no, there's not. Um. So I absolutely loved this 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 show. Uh, I teared up more times than I care to count. Um, it. I don't know what it was like. What quote unquote resonated with me, but because I I've never dealt with addiction to that extent, but I just think that the characters themselves, like the way that it, that played out, was very impactful. So, 
But um, what did you two think? Uh, I liked it. Um, I actually, my teenage daughter actually sat down and watched a good part of it with me. So um, that was interesting. Um, Yeah, I had a few takes on it. I'd like to hear what Maya's impressions of it were first. I thought it was brilliant. Uh, I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, In fact, when I was watching it, uh, in the synopsis, I did state that it is a fictional story. When I was watching it, I was so engrossed in the story. I was like, is this based on a real person or a true story? Did this happen? I did the same thing. (laughs) And Misty was like, well, Google her and find out. I was like, no. Because the last time I Googled a character that I wanted to know information about, I spoiled myself. Not fair. I said, yeah, it's seven point. episodes long. Let me do, let me watch it, and then I'll look afterwards. And then afterwards I found out, no, totally made up. Just very well researched in how, you know, the competitive world of, com- the world of competitive chess is. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it a whole lot. Same here. So, Betty, but I am curious about what your takes are on it, because I, I have to assume it, it has to do with the addiction part. Oh, well, you know, not just that. Um, one of the things that was kind of funny is, you know, after she gets put in the um, orphanage, you know, they were drugging the kids, but they weren't beating them. And I was like, well, that's not really that bad of an orphanage. <laughs> <laughs> and my daughter's like, what are you talking about? I was like, well, if you got to take your choice between beating kids or drugging them i'm gonna take drugging them she's like what kind of world is that i was like a really bad one a really bad one where you have to choose between two shitty things (laughs) but you know that was i i loved just seeing her evolve as a character but you know i i wonder how those years in between when she, you know, they stopped drugging them and, and she grabbed the pills and all that and she passed out. And then, you know, they, they kind of, I'm assuming, got her off of it and she didn't start again until she was adopted. I mean, how did she deal with those years? I'm, I'm going to assume not as well as, you know, she could have. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to say that there was probably cravings uh but she eventually grew resigned i guess maybe but yeah and you know i'm like what kind of drug is she on that makes her do this because you know most people now i have bipolar too which you know that does mean that my mental reaction to certain types of drugs is the complete opposite of what it should be but that's kind of like what it is with her and the tranquilizers is she's that's not what people normally do under tranquilizers. You know, they'll sit there and play chess on their ceiling. Yeah, I was, I was sitting there thinking like, oh, I bet that's the same type of pill that the Rolling Stones wrote about Mother's Little Helper. The magic bullet. I bet that's what it was. Well, you know, it's like, you know, Mrs. Wheatley was taking it. And when she got her prescription filled, Beth would take half of it. You know, even Mrs. Wheatley even made mention of it. She's like, I don't know why they only fill these bottles half full. 
Yeah. And yeah. I, it just, what the hell was this? And, you know, what kind of, what, because her mama was smart, but obviously she had mental issues. You know, so I'm looking at this as a person who does have bipolar too, and seeing this girl taking tranquilizers and playing, you know, third dimensional chess on her fucking ceiling. I'm like, she bipolar too as well you know that was, because that was honestly my exact same thought i was sitting there thinking like are they going to play this up to the point where like she has the same uh problem as her mom and instead of like visualizing the problems that her mom had she's visualizing chess <laughs> okay uh i found a little tidbit here mm-hmm. what they actually are um during her time in the orphanage, they they become illegal to distribute to minors. But in the show, they're called Zanzalam, which is not actually a real name for any drug. However, according to Newsweek, they are made to resemble the real-life drug and effects of a drug known as Librium that was approved for medical use in 1960. It was initially used to cure anxiety, insomnia, and withdrawal symptoms, but they were specifically marketed to housewives and young women but that was widely uh, widespread use was stopped in the mid seventies due to overprescription and continued and chronic misuse. Okay. I want to try this shit, man. But it's funny. <laughs> they, <laughs> I mean, for real, but you know, it's funny. They call it um, Zanzalon or Zanzalom because, you know, that's, that sounds like a mix between Xanax and Alprazolam, which is the yeah. generic form of Xanax. I'm like, I have never taken Xanax and thought, huh, I really want to play chess. You know, <laughs> never crossed my mind. But, you know, that that's yeah, I've never heard of this drug before. So that's really interesting. I wonder how it, it affected all these women. You know, what what were they getting from it by taking it? You know, what were the the effects for them? Why was it so good that they felt like they just needed to be, abuse it, literally? Um, I think going into this, I knew that the story was uh, fictional. Um, like, I had read, like, a little thing about it. It was like, it's not based on anybody. They're, like, everybody in it is false and yada, yada, yada. Um, so when that, that came up, my assumption was that they're like, it is a drug that we've made up for the sake of the plot but it's based on something and i just assumed as much which it clearly kind of is yeah uh but um but no that's fascinating that like i i'm curious as to like any real world drugs from the 60s if there was something that had that same effect i legitimately am curious because i don't know that there is but like we know that medical science has always kind of dug like literally masturbating women to <laughs> to get them off of hysterics like that was a that was a like a, a medical yeah point. well so. you know my as maya said this is based on the real drug and that's why i'm i'm very curious i would love to go to a nursing home and ask some women be like you know so did you take this what did it do for you <laughs> you know yeah. i'm very curious um but again based on your own mental synapses um it does affect how you are going to react to certain uh mood altering drugs yeah um 
again, having bipolar too, I cannot take anything that is made for people who suffer from depression or bipolar one because it turns me into a raving maniac. It, it does the opposite of calming me down and chilling me out. It, it literally puts me into a high manic phase and um, drugs like gabapentin. I can't take oh, that I'll because nightmare drugs. Yeah. And having bipolar two, it does give you almost like a Xanax like effect when you first start taking it, which freaked me out. I was not cool with that. I was like, what is going on right now? Because I don't feel right. They were giving me capsules. And I mean, I literally could not keep my eyes open. And I was like, I can't do this. You know? And so, again, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what, what does she have that makes her react like this? Because this is not typical. Well, yeah, the other girls who were taking it were not acting like that. So. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious what... You know, there, there's got to be something in her makeup that makes her different. And yeah, and I think that's one of those ambiguous things in the plot is like you just kind of have to assume that her mother's mental facilities, you know, like they, they are genetic and that. Yeah. Faculties. Yeah. Her her uh, her like entire story is just based on the idea that she didn't let it take control of her or something to that effect. So. Well, you know, I do have to say that for all the shit that Beth went through, she's handled it quite well, you know, minus the tranquilizer addictions. Yeah. You know, I think she's handled everything quite well, given the circumstances. Yeah. I would be proud of myself. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Um. So we were talking uh, before we recorded a little, a little bit about uh, the the this in regards to like I adore chess. I have for a long time. I I I want to own different chess sets, but obviously they're just too expensive because they have to be kind of always set up. But um, I used I to be in a, I used to be in a chess club in high school, actually middle school, and then into high school. Nerd. You were one of the 12 that she beat the pants off of when she yeah. was <laughs> Well, I was never really like super good. I was good in seventh grade. I was good at chess in seventh grade. And then I moved to like chess club in eighth grade. There was a lot older guys there that were like way fucking like they were her. They studied different methods and different like. So the second I start moving pieces, they're like thinking eight, eight steps ahead and fucking making me make the mistakes. Like that's the kind of people I was going up against in eighth grade. Um, and I, and I, I felt like the guy that was, uh, the first person, the first champion that she beat, like when she was very young. Um, Mm -hmm. and that guy was like, when you beat me, I realized I didn't like chess anymore. I kind of understood where he was coming from because when I got, when I consistently got my ass kicked in chess in eighth grade, like I lost interest in chess. (laughs) I just did. Um, not to the extent that I didn't ever, you know, want to play it or didn't like it. I just didn't want to compete. I didn't want to, you know, I like, I would want to watch the guys that were good at it. Um, Cause I realized very quickly that I wasn't as good at them as thinking moves ahead. I'm like a solid three moves ahead kind of guy. <laughs> so that's the difference. But uh, like, I think one of the things that they wanted to showcase that uh, somebody like Bobby Fisher, for example, um, it, it wasn't so much that they were thinking ahead 
as much as they were thinking of every possible move in, like in advance, every yeah. possible move. Um, there are two different types of chess players. They're the ones that make you make mistakes. They're the ones that put you in a position where you feel like your only option is this. And then they're like, check immediately. And then there are people like Beth, people like Bobby Fisher, who are just innately good. They're, they're, they're thinking of everything, every single possibility all at the exact same time. They have a fucking computer brain. And so watching those scenes in this show where she's like, methodically planning out move i like that shit was as fucking compelling to me as like an action sequence in a movie like eyes glued to the screen kind of shit yeah she has a very vulpine face as well so it she's very interesting to look at that too yes and she gives a very uh her stare really gets to you you know well, that was another thing in the mental illness part that I thought was interesting was her the way she's always stoic, the way she asks questions. And um, I was like, that's not just the orphanage coming out. Like, that's that's like part of her genetics. Yeah. Like she's just not in tune with her emotions like everybody else around her. At least that's how I took it. I don't know. Yeah. In a to a degree. Um, she's. She exhibits the same kind of symptoms that I've seen in other women who have um, high-functioning autism. I thought of you autism. You learn to mimic. Yeah. You know, and that's what she's done. She asks questions, and then she mimics. You know, it's like when she went to that sleepover, I felt so bad for her. Yeah. Oh, because yeah. I knew what was coming. You know, I've been there, and it, my heart hurt for her, you know, because I know how that feels. I think that's when, um, like, she broke down after the janitor. Like, she went into the janitor's room and took the photo, and then she broke down. Uh, yeah. Like that part made me cry because I, I, it was it was that moment in the in the show where it was like, she's always been so stoic and so kind of closed off emotionally from other people that this one time of complete vulnerability, I was like, that is just it's a tragic beauty if you if you catch my drift on that. Yeah, and you know, part of that is a defense mechanism, right? You know, right. What what I'm seeing in her character, part of that is very much a defense mechanism because, you know, again, been there, done that. If you don't allow yourself to get close to somebody, you can't get hurt. You know, yeah. so she had very few people in her life that she was close to, which, because that way she was less likely to get hurt. Yeah, which makes sense to the to the boys that she was in, you know, with at any given point. Oh, when she said, so that's what it's supposed to feel like. I that started laughing. Funny. That was hilarious. That, yeah, that was, was funny. It's the first time Greg's ever heard that line. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to fly to fucking Virginia and punch you. <laughs> but I did love the fact that, you know, there at that last game, they all her, her men came together and rallied behind her to so, get it done. I love that too, but I did see a critique about that. That that whole final bit seemed way too much for the the theming of the show. That people thought it was not just predictable, but people were like it felt like the show was a tragic story and then suddenly there's this like not tragic bit at the end. And I was like I get that. I understand that, but this show is not tragic. 
This is not this is not a tragedy. Um, it's, it's, no, it's life tragedy. Oh, What's it's the, life. That's that's what what people well, when I say, live with. When I say tragedy, I mean in, like Shakespeare wrote a thing a long time ago that there's two different forms of entertainment. There's comedy and tragedy, and um, tragedies need to end tragically, and comedies need to end non tragically. Um, but as we've learned over the years, like you can tell a story without having a tragic ending. You can have a comedy with telling a tragic ending or bittersweet. You can kind of mix things up. And I personally think that this story wasn't meant to be a tragedy. It wasn't meant to be a comedy. It was a story about a woman's life. That's it. And sometimes, sometimes in real life, stories that have tragic beginnings don't end tragically. So why not tell that story in my opinion? So like, I loved it too, Betty. I fucking I thought it was I thought it was hilarious and great that they all came together. Put a smile on my face. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was just so awesome. You know, um, maybe people were just upset because they can't stay friends with their exes, but you know, I can. <laughs> and, and I've been in a room with three men that I've had a relationship with, and let me tell you, it's an interesting place to be. But uh, you know that that moment for me was like, oh, that is just. You know, that's that's love. And it know? showed it showed Beth that she is cared about and loved. Yeah. Like, and again, you, that's love. It doesn't have to be sexual love. It's love. They love her because of who she is. Yeah, I was like platonic love is love. It doesn't it doesn't yeah. yeah. It's so yeah, I, I was a big fan, but I saw people complaining that it was like it was too, it was too fuck corny. It was too corny. Because nobody loves them. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> That's also, usually the case. You know, I'm not saying it to be funny. It usually is how it goes, though. Also completely missing, like, none of them caught the fucking amazing little nod at the end with her in that full white suit and the white cap looking like a fucking white queen on a board. I know, right? I was like, that's genius. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. We were watching and, uh, you know, with all the bad shit that she had endured and overcome... We were thinking, Misty and I were, that it was going to end on a down, uh, on such a downer that when she got out of the car to walk the rest of the way to the airport, when she goes through the park with the old men that are playing chess there, I thought somebody was just going to fucking put a cap in her. I thought she was going to be shot and killed. Yeah, by the Russians. <laughs> I really did. I was like, she is going to die. This is but, not going to end well for her. But it was there, they all rallied around her. I was like, oh, feel the love. Get the old man hugs. Yeah. <laughs> it, it definitely, I, I personally feel like if it had ended in the way that you as, assumed it was going to, Maya, um, it would not have been a, as good of an ending. I no. love a tragic ending. I fucking love a tragic ending. But this story wasn't, there was so much of it that wasn't tragic. Like, Oh, I she, agree. she endured a lot and I'm not taking that away, but there was so much more to it. That was like, it was more about her fight to, to the top versus her tragic backstory, her fighting to get to that first tournament and then fighting to win going through her, like her growing up and, and her first period right in the middle of a match, like all of that stuff, the fight, the fight to get there and a fucking victory. Like I was like, it just felt good. Well, you know, and when she was adopted and dude took off, I thought all hell was going to break loose because obviously Mrs. Wheatley was not 
a well woman. Yeah. But no. they they really, I mean, you know, she kind of took it on at first as like, you know, this is a quick and easy way to make money. But she really did care about Beth and Beth loved her too, you know, and that that was a beautiful relationship. And, you know, they they helped keep each other up, you know. Yeah. And when she passed away, that was very sad. You know, I I felt so bad for her because, you know, that that was her mother. She had found a mother and lost one again. And the way that Mr. Wheatley was treating her, I want to punch that motherfucker in the face. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. He he was just so callous about, oh, well, here's your new toy. Enjoy. I'm going out business. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fun fact for the listeners if you have seen the 2006 zombie film Fido, the house that they filmed in is the same one used for this series, and the neighborhood is the same one used for this series. That's actually how our conversation on zombie movies got started because I've I, I stated that that movie is relatively unknown, which Betty was just like, "Excuse me," I was like, yeah. "I've never heard of it. I had never heard of it until you mentioned it the other day." It is one of the best zombie movies ever. I love it. I mean, just the whole story, the way it weaves itself, the hilarity of, you know, the 1950s background. It's great. It it should be on everybody's must-watch list. I don't remember liking it that much, but I certainly did hate it by any stretch of the imagination. I enjoyed it. Well, there was, you know, it, to me, just the whole 1950s zombie comic book type thing, but, you know, add in a love story that was great and the girlfriend zombies were hilarious <laughs> I <you> know, <laughs> there's just so much you know dark comedy undertone to it that i thought it was just fabulous no it's 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 great in that i think that uh if you're gonna watch that movie go into it with the mindset that it is a little silly it yeah really it is. is very tongue-in-cheek about a lot of things you know it's yeah. not meant to be taken seriously no yeah, but um, but yeah, no, that's interesting. I didn't know that they filmed this show in that in that house. I I had no fucking clue. But that's also because I've watched that movie like maybe twice, and it was oh, like I've seen that movie at least ten times. So yeah, <laughs> I knew exactly. I, they pulled up. I was like, this is familiar. And then they walked in the house, and I was like, oh my god, that's the Fido house. <laughs> I mean, it really hadn't. They hadn't changed much at all. So, you know, it pretty much looked like it was the same exact set in the very beginning. You know, they hadn't changed shit. They even still had that mirror with the sun spikes coming out of it over the fireplace. It was, yeah. So, yeah, I was very familiar with that, and I thought that was cool. So, if um, you like zombie movies and you haven't seen Fido, definitely check it out. Yeah. Um, Yeah, my my thing with... uh... When I when I told uh, Betty that that movie was relatively unknown was that in the past I have uh, told zombie fans the ones that the ones who were like I've seen every Living Dead movie I've seen every Romero movie I've seen every this movie and yada 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 and I'm like what about Fido and they're like I've never heard of that I'm like well but it wasn't distributed very well too like that that was another problem but then again I've watched a shit ton of bad movies well not bad movies but unknown movies I should say. Yeah, I have two. Jeff is a connoisseur. 
Um, <laughs> he collects all kinds of movies. And, uh, you know, sometimes, it's, well, there's nothing else to watch. What you got, you know? And we'll go through a list, see what sounds interesting, throw it on. And, you know, we discovered some gems that way. Uh, Perfume is one of those. Perfume is a fabulous movie. And it does not have as much recognition as I think it should. I've never heard of it. It's a fabulous movie. It's very much dark comedy. I think we're hitting a, an age now where there's so much stuff and content to watch that I, I like that was the whole point of starting this podcast was like, I literally said like way before I even thought of adding Maya to the, like as my co-host, um, I just wanted to watch more shows that I, I felt like I was missing out on. I, I felt like there needed to be some, some way for me to watch it without uh, um, something, something to keep me wanting to keep coming back every week or, or just, you know, to finish the show or whatever. And that's why I wanted to do this podcast. And now that like we're three years into it, I'm sitting there going like, there's just too much. There's too much. There's just so much. I'm not watching everything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard to, but you know, I mean, well, the reason I found out about Queen's Gambit was because I saw a bunch of people that I follow on Twitter just saying, like, Queen's Gambit is so good. Like, that was all I kept seeing over and over and over. And I was just like, all right, I guess I got to check this show out. And I'm glad I did. I'm fucking glad I did. Oh, it didn't come up in your recommended? Nope. Oh, it came up in my recommended. To Every be time fair, I turned on Netflix, it was the Queen's Gambit. I was like, yeah, okay, Netflix, I will check this out. I promise. <laughs> To be fair, though, I, I don't turn on Netflix unless it's for a show we're watching. Genuinely. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, I watch Netflix all the time. Well, I watch a lot of YouTube. I pay for YouTube because I do, I do use it for uh, homeschooling as well. So not having ads is kind of imperative to the learning experience. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I noticed when I was I didn't have con uh, batteries for my controller. And so I went to watch The Walking Dead on cable. And I every time that I'd had to change it to watch the next episode, I kept going for my controller, my Xbox controller instead of the remote. And I was like, damn it, stop that. Stop that. I am totally in the streaming genre at this point. I hardly watch anything on cable. We've had it on channel 18 for the past year, I think. <laughs> we haven't changed it. It's AMC. Yeah. Well, do we want to give final thoughts and grades? Um, I would definitely say an A plus. Yeah, I've I've got a I've got to echo that sentiment. I thought it was brilliantly done. It was a believable story. Yeah. Um. So you know, like I said earlier, I was struggling without. I wanted to Google to see more about her, but at the same time, I was like, well, I don't want to spoil it, you know, but is this real? Did this really happen? And, you know, had to restraint, got through it, and then immediately Googled, and I was like, no, it didn't. Oh. Uh, but that's how well the story was crafted and told, and it's based on a book of the same title. And the author, you know, he really was diligent about researching the world of competitive chess, and you know, it translated well to the screen. Uh, so great. And that's great. two things we've watched back to back that had uh, Harry Melling in it. Yeah. 
AKA that played Dudley Dursley. Yeah. He did a better Southern accent this time. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, he wasn't playing the revival preacher, so that's true. And they do really put that accent on. They they lay it on thick and there's lots of huns after every sentence. <laughs> You're going to Jesus, huh? Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna give you guys. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm give you guys. I'm gonna. I'm going to mirror what you guys said. I gave it an A plus as well. Like I, I legitimately, again, and I, I've said this before. I, I tend to play games or do something else, kind of on the side. Like my brain needs extra stimulation. I don't know why. I can't explain it. Like right now, I, on my TV, I have compilation of quote unquote satisfying um, videos. Like they're just like random things that yeah if you look up satisfying video on youtube you can find like these guys making pots right now or like just weird little things that just kind of distract my brain but it gets that one part of my brain locked on to what you guys are saying versus you know being distracted so when i'm playing a game i'm usually playing something that's not super taxing like tetris or something to that effect this show completely stopped that like I didn't do it. I like shut off any streaming or any, any videos that I was watching, like on the side, I just immediately paid attention hundred percent to the show. So that's a testament to how well it's made. Just that, that's the point I'm getting at. Yeah, it was very well made. Um, the actors were great. The relationships that they portrayed were very realistic, you know, and again, this, it, it was so, so realistic that Maya thought it was real, you know, and that's, that's a testament to how good the show is. You know, I mean, I think a lot of us could identify with Beth in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, I think uh, those ways, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think um, it's a good week for what we watched. Um, but yeah, I think that's uh, that's gonna do it for us today, guys. Um, it's a good episode. The uh, the one thing I do want to bring up again that um, next week we are we are going to only watch Mandalorian episode three or chapter eleven. Um, and again, that is because I literally have a lot to play, and like I'm tr- I'm also trying to get through like three fucking animes. I'm just so behind on things, but. But what we are going to do next week is our little games. And I think those will be very fun. Um, I'm curious what, what Betty will bring to the table. And we haven't played that. Oh, yeah. I'm going to love this shit. Yeah, we haven't played the... Um... You didn't play the headline game ever. Did nope. you, Betty? Yeah. That's super fun. I wonder if you'll be better than me at it. Probably, because I'm fucking terrible at it. But... Uh... Yeah, and also bring seven. Both bring seven. I know that we usually do five, but uh, um, since we're only doing the games and review of Mandalorian, might as well make it a little bit longer. But uh, can do. Yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be next next week. Um, guys, make sure you follow us on all the socials which are listed below, including our new Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash all all underscore cued underscore up. Uh, that's where you'll find us playing Jackbox from here on out. Um, but yeah, Maya, where can folks find you? Uh, they can find me on Facebook under my name, uh, public profile. So you can follow me on Instagram or Twitter there. 
And if you're into other types of nerddom, you can catch me on the Realm of Collectors YouTube channel every Friday night on MPSP Theater at 9 p.m. Eastern and every other Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on a review show called Figabingin'. And that's me. Uh, Betty, where can people find you? Uh, Betty Badger Ogletree on Facebook and Bright Betty on Twitter. All right. And uh, I'm Trub Ruck Geek on all socials. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's it. Again, Just Mandalorian, episode, uh, Chapter 11, and uh, our new games that we'll be bringing. So uh, it'll be fun. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Peace, love, and polypops. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Oh, that was weak. <clears throat> Take care, everybody. <laughs>